Hi everyone, I'm Madeline Park, stylist and vintage fashion hound. I believe everything has a story, whether it be clothes or the people that wear them. It's needless to say that 2020 has been a challenging year for most, but a personal highlight has been finding my new creative home in the historic district of Potts Point in Sydney. For season three of Style Stories, I wanted to honour this vibrant community and celebrate coming together. What better way to do this than to partner with a community organisation that brings life and laughter to those who need it most, like the Wayside Chapel, the heart and soul of Potts Point, a Sydney village which has been likened to New York and Paris. Like these great cities, Wayside joyfully embraces diversity and brings together all walks of life in many creative ways, but notably through its op shop, which is renowned for being a treasure trove of donated designer digs, as well as a vital source of support for this organisation. Of course, I talk all things style with my guests this season. However, I also hope to honour their stories by highlighting their contribution to community, not only through their creative pursuits, but by looking good, feeling good, and most significantly, doing good. Today, I'm chatting with actor and model Christian Wilkins, infamous son of Aussie TV legend Richard Wilkins and humble ambassador of the Wayside Chapel Op Shop. While Christian wears many hats, he proudly holds the crown of his princely moniker with his defining long locks, love of all things sparkles and hopelessly romantic desire for good to triumph over evil. His life, however, is not pure fantasy. While he does love to live by the pleasure principle, it's his quick, self-deprecating wit, desire to spark joy and commitment to community that are the defining elements of this prince's shiny, sequin-wearing style. Christian may wear his heart on his sleeve, but for our shoot, I've styled him in a Gary Bagini tie-dye t-shirt and turquoise suit sourced from the Wayside Chapel op shop. I hope you can sit back, relax, and enjoy listening to Christian's story. Thank you, Christian, for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> now, you're very well known for being the son of beloved entertainment reporter Richard Wilkins. Yes, who has my heart. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Proud little family that you've got. Um, but on social media, you're known as the Prince. Yeah. Um, let's get into it. You have a love of Disney. Yeah. Is this where you're princely status kind of stemmed from as a kid yeah I mean it's I as a little kid loved 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 Disney and as a little baby kind of looked like Prince George yeah um sorry Prince William Prince William Prince William and um I my mum just used to call me her little Prince Charming so yeah. it kind of like came from there and that was like something that she used to always call me and I just was obsessed with Disney and then it all sort of really kind of became solidified when I joined Instagram, which was quite late. Yeah. I was like almost done with year 12. So this like 2013, everyone had Instagram and Christian Wilkins was taken. Yeah. And I didn't know what to make my username. My mom was like, what about the prince? And I was like, oh, okay, cute. <laughs> and then it like kind of became this thing like bigger than it was. Like it was born in such like an innocent like idea with my mom. And then it became like this bougie kind of thing, which was never what it was meant to be. But it's yeah. funny. Yeah. So in terms of your love of Disney, tell me about that as a kid. What what did what attracted you to the world of Disney? Um I think that 
part of me is definitely a hopeless romantic. So I think that that kind of romanticized idea of love mm. um, was very attractive. I think as a gay man, the musical and the beautiful princess and these sparkly dresses was very attractive. Yeah. Um, and I just kind of liked that it was a bit of an escape, you know. Um, and I think at, at the time when I was a little kid, I was sort of subconsciously dealing with issues of sexuality. Mm. Um, and I liked the fact that Disney was offering this kind of escape with this magical world where everything was sort of good and good always triumphed over evil. And it was something that I could kind of follow and love. Did it, did it shape any of your kind of concepts of fashion or even gender at the time? Yeah, I think so. I remember being a little kid and being really confused because I knew that I wanted to marry the prince. Yeah. And for a while I thought, does that make me the princess? And it kind of like made me very confused around my gender um, identity. And I think, you know, that kind of definitely confused me for a bit because I didn't really understand that I could be a prince and also love a prince. Yeah. Um, but I definitely think that it, it gave me an appreciation for sparkles and for volume. So. <laughs> and a blue outfit. <laughs> and the princely hair. <laughs> and the long hair, yeah. <laughs> so if you were your mum's Prince Charming, was she your first fashion queen? Oh, absolutely. I think that she was the most, uh, still is, the most glamorous woman ever. I always talk about how um, I remember one time at a parent-teacher interview, she went and she was wearing this orange miniskirt plaid um, thing and then these brown fishnet tights and she walked into the gym with all the other mums and I was like shit yeah <laughs> like that's my mom and I just thought she looked so hot and I just loved the fact that she just loved she dressed for herself yeah um which is something that I very much have taken on board and you know she didn't really give a shit about what was on trend or what people thought it was just what made her feel good yeah um and I think that more people should dress like that yeah for sure so your mum is also got a Greek background. Yeah. So I was I had no idea until I started researching uh, in preparation for our interview. I also have a Greek background. Yeah. So I'm very excited to kind of share that with you. Yes. Um, tell me more about that side of your upbringing and how that kind of influenced your sense of creativity, if at all, as a kid. Well, it's definitely influenced my sense of force-feeding all of my <laughs> friends' food. I'm like, I love you, you must eat. Um, and I def I always joke that saying that um, my mum's a welcome, and my dad loves the 80s, so I was always yeah. going to love to over-accessorize in a, like, power shoulder. Um, but, yeah, I think that it just meant that family time was really important. And growing up, you know, my parents broke up when I was 18 months old, mm. and I I mostly as a kid spent time with my mom and she was my best friend yeah. so everything that she did I kind of copied it's why I don't really like fast food or soda because she never ate it and I just wanted to be exactly like her yeah um so what, I just, what did she do like because she was a flight attendant when she met you she dad, was a flight right? attendant then she was a, a she was a flight attendant again working part-time um before COVID happened and then obviously um has stopped flying with the rest of the world yeah. and now she's she kind of has had this secret passion for gardening for a while and garden styling. And then when COVID happened, she kind of made it her job. So now she goes out there and just styles gardens and stuff like that. And she just absolutely loves it. And I think it's so amazing to really see her now um, in this, I suppose you'd call it a later stage in life, kind of find a passion that, and follow that through with her career. Yeah. 
And so, you, so she was obviously traveling a lot while you were a kid. If she she was still she no. So she um she stopped being a hostie when I was just before I was born, and okay. then started again when I was maybe like twelve. Okay. Yeah. So you had your mum with you. Yeah. And you thought she was fabulous. She is, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, which is so gorgeous. And But you you were obviously still very much part of your dad's lifestyle as yeah. well. You know, being on TV sets and, you know, going to premieres and red carpets. Your dad's probably interviewed some of the best dressed women in the world. How did you take that on board as a kid? Was it something that you were a bit like au fait with like it was just something that was there or is it something that you still kind of had starry-eyed kind of appreciation of I mean it depended on the person I remember going to a Hillary Duff concert and I was starry-eyed then like <laughs> yeah. that was the most exciting thing of my whole entire life but then I remember there was one time that Kate Hudson was here for a premiere and Colette who my dad was dating at the time dressed yeah. her and I just thought it was a really, like, casual thing. I was yeah. like, well, she looks fabulous. And we're at this premiere or whatever. <laughs> like, it was just, it was kind of what my dad did. That was his job. And quite often when I went to things with him, it was mainly because he couldn't get a babysitter. Yeah. Um, so it was just kind of what I grew up with. And it sort of took me a little while to realise that that's not what everyone's life is like. Yeah. But I think it also kind of gave me an appreciation for everyday glamour. Yeah. Um, and which I have very much continued. Like, I think it's it's fun to feel glamorous on a Tuesday, you know? <laughs> yeah. Or a, what are we, uh, On a rainy Thursday, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, going back to your mum's side of the family and the Greekness, my experience of being um, part of a Greek family is that you don't get away with very much, you know, like yeah. you can't you can't ever really think too much of yourself because they will bring you firmly yeah. back down to earth. Yeah. Is that yeah, fair I to mean, say? I definitely thank my mum for being there to keep me somewhat, and I definitely say somewhat in air quotes, <laughs> um, grounded. Yeah. Because I think without her, it would be very easy to kind of get, get your head up caught in the clouds and especially meeting so many people and being around so many things, you know. Um, my mum was the one that was there that was like, well, no, you can't go to the Kylie Minogue concert till you finish your homework. Yeah. Like she was the one that kind of made sure that there was a routine, made sure that there was a sense of normality, which I really love. And um, I think it's kind of given me a self-awareness now that when people kind of talk about big names or big exciting things and it just kind of sounds like a load of crap. I'm like, yeah. mm, shut up. Yeah. You know, like, let's all, like, drink a fat lamb in the park and, like, <laughs> and have fun, you know? Like, that's what really kind of matters. And, and that sort of other side to things, it's, you know, it's just a part of life, but it's not real. Yeah. So do you, do you feel like you've got a strong sense of family? Because you talk about your yeah as well. My yeah, yeah, I love her so much. She's so cute. <laughs> What's she like? Oh, uh, she's so funny. I always, I don't know when it started, but when I was a kid, I started calling her Yayito. Yeah. Just because. Yeah. And but she can never remember. We used to call what, mine Yayitsa. Yeah. So, see, yeah. And <laughs> I, have, I have no idea why, but she knows that I don't call her Yaya, but she knows it's something similar to Yaya. Yeah. So she's always like, writes on birthday cards being like, love your Yayini or love your <laughs> Yo, yo, yo. It's Yayito. She's so cute. I actually haven't seen her for a while either. She's in Brisbane. My okay. mom's family are all up in Brisbane. Right, so, um, okay. Yeah, I haven't been able to 
kind of go out there. But last time I was there, I managed to, I was out there for the podcast awards for the Acros. Um, okay. And my podcast was nominated and I literally had an hour and it was like between three and four. I just got off the plane. We were going to dinner and I like surprised her and she's like, was mad at me that I didn't warn her because she didn't have enough food <laughs> and then brought out like 13 courses and I was like one I'm not hungry two yeah. I'm going to dinner like three like I'm just here to spend time with you and now you're in the kitchen cooking like yeah. what are you doing <laughs> but that's love that's Greek love yeah yeah it definitely comes out in food doesn't yeah. it um and does she put you on a pedestal like you know the little Greek boy like her daughter's little Greek boy was she was that what you kind of experienced growing up yeah I mean I think I think because um, the rest of my family kind of lived out there, we would mainly go out there for holidays or birthdays. So it was always kind of a very big celebration Mm. um, when I I was up there. And I loved that sort of, I mean, I'm a white man. Yeah. I'm like a white, white man. And I really learned that when I was doing Dancing with the Stars and we'd do Latin night. I'm like, oh, these hips don't move like that. But I loved that sense of culture and that sense of identity. (laughs) These hips don't lie. Um, I. I loved the fact that uh, there was that sense of community and that sense of culture and it was so intrinsic into their lives. And, like, they're so Greek that they honestly owned a nut shop. It was called Mix Muts. Yeah, I loved Um, that. I was going to ask you about that. And, like... I just loved that that was what their life was and that they all grew up together and they literally yeah. made their own taramasalata and their own galaktaburuko and stuff yeah. like that. And yeah. that was just what their life was. And I really loved that sense of identity, which is why I'm so proud to call myself a wog. Yeah, I know, because you, you do talk about it a lot. Yeah. Did your mum kind of break away from that? You know. No, it was definitely a part of our lives, but I think that like any sort of culture, when you're not the predominant culture in the class system yeah um and you don't have a massive community around you it it is kind of harder to keep it fully alive yeah you know because it was just her and i her friends weren't greek um she didn't have family down here Mm. um so but i mean we always celebrated greek easter over normal easter we always did the bread with the eggs and colored them you know so it was definitely a part of my life yeah um, but now, you know, you're also very proudly following in your dad's footsteps. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he has a reputation for being a Casanova. Uh, having good hair. <laughs> and having good hair. Um, do you think that, you know, you, um, you're also led by your heart in the same way that your dad might be? Yeah, I I definitely think so. I, you know, growing up, I always saw my dad, much like myself, as a hopeless romantic. So it was kind of installed with us that if, like, you always open a woman's car door and you always walk on the left-hand side of her on the street and, you know, and buying them big flowers and and really treating them to beautiful things. um, It's something that I personally have an appreciation for um but also like to sort of do to people I I like to charm them and show them a good time but I um I've also sort of obviously seen my dad have quite a few relationships so I think that that's kind of also made me very cautious you know I've never had a proper relationship myself and I think that that's because I don't want to kind of I think there's an inherent fear that I don't want to give away a part of myself if it's not the right person yeah i understand that yeah. having a dad that was well I, he would like to think he was a casanova <laughs> <laughs> i think you do learn something about i'm just i'm going to really understand what trust looks yeah. like before i will open myself up yeah, to totally. another person yeah um 
So, you know, you've obviously been uh, in the limelight for a very long time and uh, you were a dramatic child you, from your description. <laughs> you could say that, yeah. <laughs> so I'm guessing that like some of the attention wasn't unwanted as you were growing up. No, no. I mean, I definitely liked it. Um, and it's, you know, I, I always laugh about, I feel like I was like peak prince when I was like 18, <laughs> 19. I'd just finished school. I had pink hair. I yeah. was going to like bougie events every like three days yeah. and I just loved it and that was my life and that was what was important to me and I'm actually really kind of grateful that I mean I look back at that period of my t- life and I'm like you were a garbage human like you had the <laughs> yuck and I don't know how I had so much energy to go out so often but I'm glad that I kind of worked that out of the system yeah you know and I kind of got the attention that I wanted or didn't want and I, again I saw that it wasn't really real I mean having your photo on the paper it's like might be there on Sunday but on Monday it's It's like yeah Yeah. it's fish and chips (laughs) wrapper (laughs) um so I kind of because I got to kind of exercise that side of my identity now it's kind of allowed me to sort of just follow things that I'm actually passionate about and when I do do PR and I do do press and stuff like that I want it to be something that I care about yeah but at that time you also did get a little bit of unwanted kind of press and there was I think an article that said you know the most you'll amount to is yeah well yeah well that's when I was when I was 16 that was the first article that um right (laughs) absolutely I remember my dad coming home and he just had a really weird energy and I was like what's up and he's like have you read the papers and I was like no why Mm. and there was this article saying that the most I'd ever amount to is celebrity big brother which is wrong it was actually dancing with the stars (laughs) um (laughs) and it's but I think that it was again good because that is a part of being in the public eye yeah you know it's never always going to be good press um and you need to take everything with a grain of salt and I think it's also really kind of given me an appreciation for what is important and if someone's just kind of if someone doesn't know you and they're attacking you because what they see on social media that that really doesn't amount very much Mm. um because they don't know you as a person and I think having your especially being an odd looking human um having your aesthetic kind of critiqued it's but at such a young uh, like at an age where that sense of image is so um precarious oh absolutely and I mean it definitely hurt for a long time but Mm. then it's kind of made me much stronger because I think now when I go out to an event um, I will never leave the house until I feel absolutely confident in it. If Because yeah. I know that if I am questioning myself in something, the smallest little critique will absolutely yeah. crumble me. Yeah. But if I'm feeling hot to chart, you, you know. You just won't care. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And realistically, I mean, journalists don't, especially gossip journalists, yeah. don't really know you. No. And then being like, oh, this is their little brat, like, <laughs> mm, whatever. <laughs> so at the time, did did that stuff affect you to the point where you know, you considered doing something like that the SBS documentary Filthy Rich and Homeless? Like, was that, you know, a, a desire to kind of show another side of yourself? Was that something that prompted you to do that series or...? Um, maybe subconsciously. I don't think it was that considered, to be honest. Mm. Um, I think that I'm a person that kind of very much lives in the moment and wears their heart on their sleeve. Yeah. Um, and quite genuinely, I just saw that as a I think working in the entertainment industry you get offered chances to do things that 
literally once in a lifetime. Mm. Um, and it was a topic that I didn't really know anything about. And yeah. I just kind of, I've always been somewhat socially conscious um, and wanted to change my perspective on homelessness. And yeah. I completely did. I, I, I watched the whole series and, you know. What would you think? Oh, my God, yeah. I was in tears. You know, um, just it the stories of these people are just so compelling and just in terms of like just the general assumptions that we all have and the way that we go about treating people in the community mm. that sleep rough. It's, uh, it, you know, we I feel like I'm a socially aware person but yep. I think just seeing it kind of more firsthand uh, always helps understand the situation yep. better and just how you, you approach somebody. So. Yeah, well, I mean, and I also really love doing it because they clearly play it um, in school still. Yeah. And it's usually around this time of year, actually. Yeah. And I usually get quite a few messages from school kids being like, we watched you. Thank you for doing it. Because I think me being that age, it was a very easy kind of identity for young people to tap into because mm. they probably were experiencing the same thing. It was just an issue that they had heard of but didn't really understand. Yeah. And I think that they kind of could come in with the same sort of point of view as me and, and have their eyes opened by watching it as well. Mm. So moving forward from that, is that did that kind of prompt you to um, start volunteering with Wayside Chapel? Or, yeah. 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 So um, on the last night I met this wonderful Scottish lady called Yuna who still works at Wayside. Yeah. And she came up to me and was um, introduced herself and offered to give me a tour of the Wayside Chapel. And I was like, absolutely, that sounds amazing. Yeah. Um, so I went in there the following week with my mom and we sort of looked around at everything that they did. And the thing that really stuck out to me was what stuck out to me when I did the show. And it was that a lot of homeless shelters or um, places where they help people that are experiencing homelessness, they can be discriminatory. Mm. Um, they won't accept LGBT people. They um, will only accept women who have are still married or aren't divorced right. um they won't accept children or they will accept children but they won't accept the fathers and i really liked the fact that the wayside was just this culture that was about acceptance yeah it didn't matter who you were it didn't matter what your experience was you, everyone was welcome yeah um and that just felt so powerful to me and then i just kind of became involved from there doing the volunteer induction day which anyone that's wondering about it, it's really easy to do it's literally like one day and then you can volunteer whenever you want yeah um and i don't know why i was like looking out yeah. to the audience then <laughs> just, just welcome hi. people um and i yeah and just kind of got involved from there and then last year i did the we fed um people on Christmas Day with yeah. my stepmom, with my stepdad and my mom. And yeah. it was literally the best Christmas of my whole entire <laughs> life. Like, it was so much fun. And they were like blasting Donna Summer and they had karaoke and we're all doing like the nut bush outside and yeah. like going around feeding people. And then like I stole this big bag of lint balls and was like handing them out to all the kids. And it was, oh, it was absolutely magical. Yeah. Um, well, I, one of the great things about what they do in this community is, yep. as you've said, they embrace all walks of life, as yep. they like to say. And obviously that level of acceptance and just the joy that they yep. um, create in their community or in this community yep. is, is magnificent. Why do you think that level of acceptance resonated with you so much? I think just being a LGBT member 
LGBTQI member, um, it you just you are aware of slight circumstances where you don't feel welcome or you don't feel safe. And even though um, I had a home and I had parents that loved me, you know, I I still have definitely experienced times where I felt uncomfortable or I felt unwelcome. And then after doing the show, I think to have that exacerbated by the fact that you don't even have a home to go to makes that so much worse. So I think that I just really appreciate what they were standing for because I could see that that was sort of a place where people could be repaired almost. And I think that a large issue in trying to kind of compete against homelessness is the mental side to it, is Mm -hmm. is the fact that you don't feel safe and how as people who do have a bed to go home to how we take safety as um such a something for granted Mm. you know and i love the fact that for everyone else they could go there and they could feel safe there and that was a really rare thing actually yeah and do you think it it might be a bit of a stretch here but you're you're known for you know kind of some flamboyant fashion Mm. looks um do you think being involved with somewhere like Wayside allows you to have a confidence just to do whatever you want now? Like, yeah, I mean, from I, a style perspective, is that? Yeah, I definitely think that it, um, it kind of, it makes me feel backed up that even if no one questions it or if I never mention it, for me for myself to know that I'm kind of hopefully doing some good mm. obviously makes you feel good. Yeah. You know, um, I always say that I'm a bit of a hedonist, but in the way that looking after yourself, the way to look after yourself, the way that we feel better about ourselves is to look after our community. Yeah. Um, and it, it definitely does. It makes me feel more confident. It makes me feel more excited to go out there and do things because I know that I'm kind of giving back in some small way. Mm. And now you, you're you also a very active member of their, the Wayside Chapel op shop. Yep. And uh, their ambassador. Yes, so. I'm so excited to be one of their ambassadors. <laughs> so tell me about that role. Well, it's basically, um, I, so as I said, I, I'd been doing stuff with them for years and years. Yeah. And then um, when I was doing Dancing with the Stars, they were my charity. And then they kind of just reached out. And when COVID happened, obviously, they had to shut down the op shop. Yeah. Um, and the op shop was kind of one of their main sources of making money it was mm. also a way to kind of keep the community involved with everything yeah. that the wayside was doing yeah, it, it is it really brings both it does sides it does and i mean together. for people that aren't in sydney you know pot's point is a very traditionally it's you know it, it's an upper class kind of community and the mm. fact that there is this place in the heart of it that is sort of the opposite of that but still just as welcoming and just as accepted by the community um, is really fantastic and I love the fact that everyone really gets involved in it. Mm. Um, and then when COVID happened and they had shut that down, I think that that was a real kind of missing link um, from the wayside and from the community and now to kind of reignite that online yeah. um, and sort of also broaden it to all of Australia now so everyone can kind of buy mm. um, is really fantastic. And they get such good stuff. <laughs> they get such good stuff as yeah. well. Such fantastic <laughs> finds. And I think that it's also, it definitely makes a difference from just going to like a consignment store because you know that it's actually going back to something good. Yeah. So uh, moving more into the fashion side of things, um, 
you obviously are an advocate for sustainable fashion and um, that's, you know, another kind of great benefit of you being an ambassador for the op shop. What else do you love about secondhand or vintage clothing and and how do you integrate that into your sense of style? Um, I just really love the fact that I... You look at so many vintage pieces and you just think this is so incredibly unique and it's so beautiful. Um, And I've always kind of been a really big believer in the idea that something doesn't necessarily need to be pretty in order to be beautiful. Yeah. And I see that a lot in vintage clothing. You see outfits and you're like, this is hideous. It's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. <laughs> know. You know? It's a ve- sometimes I look at a piece of clothing, especially a piece of vintage clothing, I have a really ambivalent relationship. To yeah. It. It's like, do I hate you or do yeah. I love you? Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. And I, I love that sort of – and it makes – it makes you think something and often when you wear it, it makes other people think that and i like the fact that like fashion causes conversation um and i really enjoy that kind of aspect to it the fact that people are sort of it's it's sparking some kind of emotion in them yeah and i just i throw it into whatever else i'm wearing i mean the jacket that i was wearing today is a vintage jean-paul gaultier um that i found in a um in an op shop in la yeah right and it's you know just like throw it into your everyday wardrobe like yeah. it, just let it be a hero piece and have fun with it and do you sometimes troll dickie's wardrobe for some people <laughs> often ask me this it's really lackluster <laughs> like i wish there were some epic edit. there's one fantastic silk mtv bomber jacket that yeah. he got when he first started hosting mtv yeah and it's like the one piece that i've stolen <laughs> everything else it's a lot of skinny jeans <laughs> it's a lot of v-neck calvin klein crew t-shirts right. <laughs> like, and some red converse and, uh, and white converse <laughs> like low top two he's always like do these converse work and i'm like no they don't work with any i don't care what you're wearing the answer is no universally um let's go to dancing with the stars as i said my daughter was very very excited that i was um interviewing you today because we watched every episode of the season and loved it um i especially loved your wit like you're you have a a very self-deprecating very quick wit which is as much as your dancing was beautiful that's I really enjoyed it. Well, I, I always say if you can't laugh at yourself, how can you laugh at anyone else? Yeah. And I love laughing at other people. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you need to laugh at yourself. Um, um, so you, you've said that you were in it for the sequins, but I think it gave you a lot more than that, didn't it? it oh, it absolutely did. Um, it really kind of it validated me as a person and as a gay man on TV and as someone with a voice, um, you know, and I appreciate that you probably shouldn't just search for your job for validation, but the fact that it kind of did give me that was really wonderful. And I, you know, I was working doing social media for four years at Channel 9 and I all I ever wanted to do was be on TV. Mm-hmm. And it's I'd done small bits and pieces, but I just kind of felt like I was wasting away at, there like emotionally mentally spiritually Mm. um not being on camera and not kind of having fun and I just I love having fun I know that sounds stupid but it's just (laughs) it's fun to have fun and life short you know yeah um and just being able to do that it was it, it was magical and in terms of representation like you know being because i think you said that you're a lanky gay man on family television yeah that that was effeminate like (laughs) not classically i'm not like big and hulky and classically beautiful you know and like being kind of a bit of a weirdo um on tv was really 
amazing. I've actually just started re-watching Will and Grace from the beginning. Oh, yeah. Um, and it kind of reminded me of, I used to go and spend Christmas holidays at my stepdad's mum's house. Okay. And she would watch Will and Grace. And I think that she could tell from a young age that it kind of really piqued my interest. <laughs> so she would keep it on for much longer and watch oh. reruns of it because I think that she could tell that I kind of had this interest in it and I could see myself reflected in these characters which I couldn't in normal TV yeah and to kind of feel and that I might be that to some young member of the community yeah is incredible yeah it's quite powerful right yeah um and so in that like you obviously are a public figure now and you 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 represent yourself in a in quite a specific way that I'm People might want to call androgynous, but I yep. don't think it. I wouldn't personally consider it androgynous because androgyny has um, a sense of neutralness about it. Yep. And I, I don't think there's anything particularly neutral yep. about you or the way that you dress. But you, you kind of bring this sense of masculinity and you even did it in your dancing with a, like a gentle femininity and... And you kind of then wrap it in a big bow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what do you think in terms of uh, like gender representation? What do you think the way you dress says about how people, especially of your generation, yeah. understand gender today? That's. Uh, can I just say that's such an interesting question because <laughs> I was like having sometimes you know when you're like sitting by yourself sometimes and you have like moments of self reflection. Yeah. This was me last night because I was going out to drag trivia with some girlfriends and I just knew in my soul that I wanted to wear this hot pink mini skirt that I have. Yeah. Like and I just knew it and I was like I I've always kind of thought that gender is a spectrum mm. and while I definitely identify as male, um, you know I, I I was sort of thinking to myself I was like is this kind of the times when perhaps I am a little less male. Like, I, you know, it's that's that feminine energy because I still want to wear that and I'm identifying with this very feminine energy right now that's sort of expressing itself through a visual cue of a miniskirt. Yeah. Um, I think that it's just sort of breaking down these stereotypes of what is masculine and what is feminine mm. and you know I definitely enjoy also playing with those stereotypes like sometimes I'm like oh I kind of want to look like a boy today yeah um and then and you, most you, of the time you do like to show off your bits as well right oh absolutely <laughs> you know I, that's not something you hide away no no totally <laughs> I, I don't mean if if anything's like my friends always say if anything's sheer sparkly and tight yeah. like it's got me all over it I'm like yes yeah, amazing and pink um but you know, I think that it's it's playing with these notions of what is normal, you know, and straight and cis isn't necessarily normal. It's just more common. Yeah. So do you think it's just about just blurring all those lines? It yeah. Well, essentially kind of getting rid of them. I, I think that it's they're unnecessary barriers, you know, and I think that that often things that we place on other people that yeah. we don't necessarily place on ourselves. Like, I'm sure you don't wake up every day and you're like, I am female, therefore I wear dress. <laughs> you know, like, it's it's something that we kind of put on someone else and I think that that's completely reductive. Yeah. Because what does it matter? Like, if you are who you are, that, that doesn't affect me. Yeah. Does that answer your question? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know that there is a clear answer. And I, yeah. and I think, and this is one of the... Th 
I guess things that you're doing in your own podcast is that understanding fashion as um, as a window into the story of the time. Like if we look at history, yeah. and I th- you know, because you obviously address social issues in your um, in your podcast and its relationship to fashion. Yeah. And for me, I've always been fascinated with how fashion actually kind of tells us about Mm. the mentality of people at the time which is why i was really curious about asking you that question but i also think it's a really tricky one to answer while you're living it you know it's it's something that is a lot easier to understand as you reflect upon it Mm. and like you guys do you i mean you you give like a really nice history to fashion and, and how things have evolved and its relationship to now but it's only by looking backwards that we can kind of Absolutely. understand yeah. it. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, as they say, hindsight's twenty twenty, and I think it's much easier to kind of... It was even... And I know that this might sound like a bit of a stretch, mm-hmm. but the first year that Trump was in um, presidency um, and everyone was wearing those new dresses and it was all kind of about this really sheer fabric and these plastic fabrics. And I was like a very literal representation of a need for transparency in a time where there is none, Mm. you know? Um, And I think that you kind of can look back and you see these kind of through lines of these weird things where subconsciously we're kind of wanting something um, from society or Mm. from our politics. And so we kind of enact that in the few ways that we can, which often is our own self-expression. Yeah. So, um, going on to radical fashionism, yep. you've just released a new episode. We have. What, what's going on with that for you guys at the moment? It's it's still going. He is in Melbourne, yeah. um, and it's there is a Andy is he not yeah. capital H, <laughs> um, and um, sadly it was kind of outside of his five kilometer radius zone, so we kind of had to pull back the brakes a little bit, and we had we. It's sort of sometimes a few episodes are a bit of a Frankenstein episode, but we'll record a few parts that we really love before and then we might get a guest in or we'll have to wait for them. So there are a few um, episodes that are kind of half done in the back catalogue. As soon as the borders are open, he's coming up here. We're going to keep recording a few more um, and hopefully have some more episodes coming out by summer. Um, You're both very articulate about designer labels um yeah (laughs) him more so than i (laughs) yeah like intimidatingly so like i i think i'd be a bit scared to interview him because it's like this encyclopedia of fashion history and knowledge yeah um he calls it his rolodex of hate (laughs) (laughs) how do you 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 like beautiful clothes correct Mm. um how do you reconcile that sense of high and fashion and often the elitism that can be associated with that with this other kind of more wholesome grounded you know giving social socially aware side of of you i mean i personally just think that it's not an all or nothing situation um and i you know i i sometimes see people and they're like oh well because i'm supporting this i can't like go out there and buy that and I'm like, but if you still think that's something beautiful, if that's still something that's going to buy you joy, that doesn't make you less of a good person. Yeah. You know, and if you need to take it as it comes and if something's going to make you happy and spark joy for you, um, then you should absolutely follow that. And yeah. if that's through a Gucci handbag, then whatever. That doesn't, like, still go and volunteer and help out, you know. Like, it's 
it's all kind of one big amalgamation. And I, I think that it is important though to kind of um, use your dollars wisely, kind of follow brands that I think support good things, you know, that are sustainable. Um, it's why I love Kidex so much. I mean, aside from being an Aussie label, she's so sustainable, she's so fantastic. Um, and it's really kind of from go to woe with her and kind of just really spending your money wisely on things that share your own ethics. Yeah. What's your favourite item in your wardrobe right now? Oh, my favourite <laughs> item. Oh, I just bought a pair of um, slides for summer. Yeah. And I always... Um, and I'm not, You've just spoken about pure joy and... Obviously, not everyone's watching this, but I just saw the pure joy. Oh, I can't wait to wear them. And it's been rainy all week. And I'm like, (laughs) Um, but they're these uh, collaboration that Lueve did with Paula's Ibiza. Right? You know Paula's Ibiza? No, I don't. So it was. um, It started in the 70s in Ibiza. Right. And it was this kind of. They were like the go-to place for like couture hippie culture. Right. Um, and Lueve they shut down about 15. 20 years ago now but the way they did a collaboration with them and it's just all these like it's just fun and it's colorful and it's bright because i would want to say low (laughs) (laughs) i the first time i heard the way i was like that's a made-up sound (laughs) like you you are just saying sounds right now but i have been told it is the way or else i might be just a dickhead i may be both um and they've got they honestly look like the tackiest like 90s like charm bracelet on a slide and they've got yeah. like raffia like fringe all over it and then these big pink flowers and i just they're ridiculous and fun and yeah. i love it what are you going to wear them with probably oh, nothing yeah. <laughs> some really tight little shorts. yeah just some tiny little short shorts <laughs> so what's you, you're obviously getting back into the podcast. You've just filmed a Stan series. Is yes, that yes. I'm actually going back up to Byron next week to finish filming. Yeah. Um, and that's again, it has been so fantastic to do because acting has really it's that's always been my goal. Yeah. Um, that was always the thing that I wanted to do. Um, and I knew that I might have to go about it in a kind of roundabout way, kind of try and build a profile and get into it that way um which is sort of what i've managed to luckily do um but being able to act and sort of seeing that side of things has been so fantastic growing up around live tv and then getting to see this yeah you know i reckon all the camos and all the sound guys are so over me by the end because i was like what are you doing now what are we filming over here oh look at this and they're like yeah and you can do this i'm like oh can i do that um i was like a little kid in a candy store because i just i and especially working over COVID, yeah. um, everyone was like showing up 120%. Mm. Like it was just so appreciative to be there and to be working and to be doing what we all love. And when does the series come out? Mid-Jan. Right. Yeah. That's exciting. Yeah. And what, what, what kind of big goals or plans have you got moving forward? I mean, I'd love to keep doing... Um, acting stuff uh, that's really kind of my goal now that I've kind of got the a little taste of it that's where I want to follow I am um, just actually got an acting agent for the first time in my life which I'm very excited about I've yeah. I've had a manager now for a while but to sort of have an acting agent and have that um, skill validated um, by someone that works in the industry is really fantastic um, yeah. and just continuing on with that yeah now last question Christian yes uh, when you're an old man, 
how do you think you'll be dressing? Do you think you'll just be embracing everything that lies? Yeah, but you just... I hope even wackier. <laughs> I always say, like, I look back at what I wore five years ago and I'm like, Ooh, like, that's awful. <laughs> and I want to experience that every five years. Like, I want to look back in five years now and be like, yuck. Um, and I just want to, like, keep yeah. building from there. I mean, I just, I've always loved colour. I've always loved fun. I've always loved sparkly things. And I hope that that continues. Yeah. Um, and you know, no, no red converse or you no know, red no, converse, no black skinny, no jeans. skinny jeans. <laughs> oh, for God's sake! So many skinny jeans. <laughs> it's like an egg on legs. <laughs> Thank you so much, Christian, Thank for you sharing so much. your style story Thank with you. me. <laughs> In spite of his disarmingly debonair disposition, it's hard not to fall for Christian. He may be a stifling six foot, two and a half inches, but his childlike joy, gentle ease and generous spirit are immediately infectious. Well, it would be easy to attribute his charisma and career path to his beloved dad, Dickie, it's not just his father's footsteps Christian has stepped into. His doting mum, Michelle, has ensured Christian's Gucci-clad feet have remained firmly on the ground and centred his world to consist of more than flashing lights, but a sense of community and service. Either way, Christian stands as a charming young man whose future holds a forecast of fashionable heights. It's his style to have fun and, like a prince, make things feel a little magical for those around him. As we reach the end of the year and head into the holiday season, now is a time to look good, do good and feel good with Wayside Chapel Opshop. You can shop online at thewaysidechapelopshop.com or if you're in Sydney like me, you can donate your pre-loved fashion items at their 40 to 42 Warners Avenue North Bondi or 29 Hugh Street Potts Point locations. If Style Stories made you feel good, please feel free to subscribe, leave a review or explore more of my guest stories on my website or Instagram at madelinepark.co. Thanks for listening.